Hello and welcome to What Comes Next, a show about the mind-blowing technologies that will shape your future. I'm Kwaku Akamensa. I'm Amy Dickens. And I'm Rob Cup. Hey, Amy, Rob, how are you guys doing today? It's a beautiful sunny day. We're just coming off the, the bank holiday weekend. I can't complain. Yeah, it's roasting. It's absolutely baking, man. What did you guys get up to on the weekend? Okay, so I read a book by a person I met in university and it was like she's one of these people who I didn't know her very well. I kind of knew her as a friend of a friend. But this book that she's written is is a memoir about her her life and her family. And it's like really, really intimate. So it was this really like surreal experience of reading a book about someone, you know, on kind of a surface level, but like a really intimate storytelling wow. of their life. It was so and, it, and it, she's a fantastic writer. She's done such a good job writing it. But yeah, it was like the first time experiencing that because either I read stuff by people I know quite well or I read stuff by people I don't know at all. So it was really kind of an interesting medium reading it, uh, reading reading a book by someone I used to know, but like a really quite intimate personal story. That's awesome. What, what was the kind of one thing that surprised you the most about what you read? Um, I think it's just like, it, it just she the, she speaks about her family and she talks a lot about like she grew up in the south of America south of America in South Carolina um, and she talks a lot about like local legends there and sort of local traditions and uh, sort of like hurricane like what it's like growing up in a hurricane belt and stuff like that and it's I think I was just really surprised by some of the stories she told of her family and. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific I could put my finger on, but yeah. I just like I just found it really. I like I was reading it, and I was like, my I feel like my family stories are not this interesting. <laughs> yeah, what kind of what? Uh, I don't know how to phrase this. What qualifies her to write a memoir? Right, like what? You know, everyone's got quite a few stories, but it takes something quite different to write a good memoir. Yeah, well, I mean, she she kind of the whole book is an ode to her grandmother. Her grandmother was quite a powerful force, but basically, her family owned most of Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. Um, but her actual like immediate family, they didn't have a whole lot of money. Like they were quite quite often kind of working on the breadline. But her extended family sort of owned this whole beach area, and she, you know, there's like there's there's family violence in there. There's like struggles with addiction in there. There's all kinds of stories um, uh, about her her different kind of family members. There's tragedy. There's like a whole lot of love. It's just a it's a really good book. Um, and so I don't know if that qualifies someone to write, but I found it really interesting um, to kind of just read about all these different aspects of where she came from and who she is. Um, and, and the book, cool. by the way, is called Low Country by J. Nicole Jones, if anyone's interested in reading it themselves. Shout out to Nicole. Uh, what about you guys? What, what did you do over the weekend? Uh, yeah, mine was nice, very, very tame. Uh, a lot of seeing family, seeing friends, uh, drinking beer, watching football. That was nice. Um, yeah, all around just kind of enjoying the sun. Yeah, nothing, nothing particularly particularly special i almost feel like i've forgotten how to take advantage of a bank holiday weekend honestly yeah. like I, i'm <laughs> yeah. just so like not used to going anywhere briefly um and without sort of great organization I've, I've kind of forgotten like oh yeah you know there were things called city breaks and you know you could go camp or something like that i've kind of forgotten all that <laughs> in the to old relearn days how to, yeah i have to relearn how to what free time feels like and how to sort of enjoy it so um mm -hmm. no fairly basic it's like living. It's like living in a post-apocalyptic landscape. When do you remember when we used to have city breaks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's like, it's like there's the the, the um, and the film always ends before this part. 
but when you have think of like an asteroid movie where you know a certain percentage <laughs> of the population has gone into these bunkers underground and a, a few years later they emerge and the you know things that you know the, the the first birds have started chirping or whatever you know yeah. the, the world is just starting to recover and they never show you know um, what happens well, next they've, yeah they've got to figure out bike sharing from the ground up you know how does any of that work you know they never show that kind of return to normality that interestingly not that I'm going to be a really boring person talking about books this whole time, but my friend, off the back of our last podcast where I talked about Michio Kaku's uh, Physics of the Impossible, my friend wrote to me and he was like, I've got this book you need to read. And it's called The Knowledge, as in not the taxi driving knowledge. It's called just The Knowledge. And the whole book is like how to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. And it, it's every chapter is like building up society from the ground up again. I haven't started reading it, but nice. I'll report back when I have. That's so cool. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Does it have like the the very first bit where it's like yeah. this is how you get out of the city and yeah, like turbulence and, and maintain the fresh and then... water supply, that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely so, up for that. I got it in hard copy just in case. <laughs> <laughs> the most survivable form of book yeah you're assuming that the data infrastructure the internet has gone down exactly. is, is is long gone yeah, yeah. Like, i won't sense. take yeah, that sure. risk i won't yeah, take yeah. that risk you definitely don't want it on audible do you like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> does anyone have a battery <laughs> um yeah. how about you quickly how was your weekend yeah yeah um it was pretty good man uh in fact it was fantastic uh went up to manchester to see some family which is brilliant um and also took my daughter on a train like a, a long distance train for the first time um so that was really cool she did really well um but also there were like those moments where you know when a baby starts crying in your carriage and you just like you just like no man please please don't <laughs> i remember like looking around the carriage and seeing like you know 20 faces just like point directly at me like is oh. your baby gonna be like <laughs> you're gonna destroy <laughs> this trip for me but luckily she was on point and uh she kept it cool so that was good um but yeah apart from that yeah just like really really nice time chilling out with family and getting like knee deep into some like old like cia um and american government history uh with um this book the devil's chessboard that i'm almost finished with it's absolutely amazing for anyone who has like any kind of interest in um yeah like american politics and the history of like foreign maneuvers overseas and things like that it's just like absolutely invaluable. I really have found it just terrifying and uh, really like illuminating as well. It's, it's really awesome. We are all about the books on this podcast. I, I know, I know. Start, yeah, yeah. I think it's we should awesome. start a What Comes Next book club. <laughs> yeah, we should do actually. That's a really good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like, um, because Audible has basically just been like the key to like all of the books in the world um, mm. for me because I'm such an embarrassingly slow reader. Uh, so yeah, I'm now I'm like crunching through these like massive tomes, which is, uh, which is definitely like a bit of a, a bit of a benefit. Um, but alas, uh, today we're not here to talk about books. We are here to talk <laughs> about, uh, something quite different. Um, really excited about the guests that we've got on today. So on today's show, we're going to be talking to Daniel Masenga Grant, the environmental leader, HV Systems, an incredible company that is pushing the boundaries of hydrogen vehicles. It's an awesome chat. Uh, we get into the, the weeds of what the future of hydrogen fuel cells are going to look like and what we can imagine uh, in the future of transportation systems, not just across the UK, but worldwide. It's a really interesting conversation. We hope you guys enjoy it. Get ready for what comes next. 
Hi, Daniel. Welcome to What Comes Next. Thanks for joining us. Hello, you're welcome. So we're, we're kind of really excited to dive into um, your work at um, HV Systems. Um, could you tell us what your role is in the company to begin with? I, I do quite a number of roles. So it was actually, I was the first employee. So it started, oh, wow. with, okay. the, it started with the two founders and me in a, in a tiny office with maybe two gets drawings of a truck. Um, <laughs> and we built it up from there. So my role has got steadily smaller as the company grew. <laughs> um, so I started with everything. Um, and then now I do um, kind of day-to-day business running. So I'll keep an eye on the accounts. Um, but I have an environmental background. So I kind of bring um, all of that knowledge into the company from the environmental side. Uh, and then I also oversee our kind of grant application process, um, look for potential government funding uh, and, and go for that. Awesome. Awesome. It's really interesting to hear that you guys have kind of taken environmental focus for the business from, well, right from the off, from employee number one, right? Um, uh-huh. When did you guys get started? Was it 2017, did you say? It was, yes. Yeah, so September 2017. Um, and we were kind of growing slowly as, as a startup. Was. Um, and then it was probably the summer of 2018 where we, we kind of got really into it. We started to build more of the, the engineering team. Uh, we got the designs more finalized. We got their experience and knowledge into that. And um, so it was really from, from that point that we really started to grow. And and how many people are in the team now? So we've got a core team of eight people. And mm-hmm. then there's kind of a cloud of advisors and consultants around that. Awesome, awesome. And I'd love to understand what the kind of core mission is um, for HV Systems. What's the company all about and what are you aiming to do? Yeah, so we're focused on the commercial uh, sector of the transport industry. So we see that there's incoming government legislation saying they're going to you know, ban diesel and, vehicle, diesel and petrol vehicles by um, 2040 or 2035. They're kind of drawing it moving it sooner in scotland the targets i think 2032 but even sooner um we see that there's kind of government pressure coming in to have zero emission vehicles on the road Uh, obviously there's there's the problem of climate change that we as a global society are kind of pivoting to combat so that that comes into everything and there's the net zero targets as well so net zero by 2040 is the uk's aim but all of these things all of these targets are in place but there's not many transport solutions at the moment to meet those needs. Um, so what we do at HV Systems is we are looking at hydrogen power. So um, having hydrogen on board the vehicle and using a, a fuel cell to produce electricity on board to power an electric vehicle powertrain. So we're looking at doing that for uh, HGVs, so trucks, lorries, and MCVs, which is a medium commercial vehicle, which is kind of a large van. So a, a sprinter or um, kind of the UPS vans that you see going about in that kind of size. So we're very focused on the heavier vehicles and trying to decarbonize the commercial transport sector. Fantastic. And um, for, for those of our listeners who, you know, w- w- probably most of us have heard about hydrogen being a, a kind of technology of the future, Um Tell, tell us a bit about that and why we aren't already seeing hydrogen vehicles, you know, popping up all over the place in a similar manner to the, the way that we're seeing electronic vehicles start to permeate. Yeah, so obviously hydrogen fuel cells were invented in, you know, 1830, like 
many of these technologies that we're circling back to um, after you know Ford made his petrol vehicles in in the early 1900s and took over everything. And so <laughs> we're, we're getting back there now. Um, but the um, reason that we've not really seen hydrogen yet is a lot to do with cost. So fossil mm-hmm. uh, cells are still quite expensive um, and prices are only starting to come down. And the technology is mature enough for what we need, um, but the price is a bit prohibitive still. Uh, when, as more companies use hydrogen vehicles, we're going to see economies of scale, that cost is going to come down. And uh, so that's what, that's kind of the point that we're on at the moment, I think. Um, so even you know, when we started this company kind of three, four years ago, and hydrogen was still seen as kind of the fuel of the future. But just in the last 12 months, I would say there's been a, a significant shift, at least as we're seeing in the UK with more and more government grants coming out uh, based on hydrogen refueling or hydrogen vehicles. Um, we've got in the US, a company was started um, just a few years before us, so it's called Nikola Motors. And they're kind of like what we do, but in the US. Um, mm-hmm. And they're kind of large trucks for hydrogen. Um, and they're, you know, they're valued at, they valued at several billion after their IPO. So wow, there's okay. movement in the market. There's money coming into the hydrogen sphere. Uh, the government seems to be much more open to it than it was even just a year ago. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that um, that kind of cascade that you described there. You know, legislation or, or the kind of aspirations that um, that are going on on the world stage, followed by the legislation uh, or regulation changes that are being brought in by uh, a localized government, and then that then trickles through to, I guess, the area that Grantry works in, so, so specific government funds. And then hopefully, you know, what you like to see is that investors then follow that trend of, of companies that are able to innovate in that field due to those kind of funds being available. Obviously, that's the the idea. Uh, whether it always works that way, you know, is is kind of up for debate. But it's really good to hear that, you know, you're kind of in the center of this industry. You're feeling that that change and that there is a kind of push for innovation. Yeah, I think there's, there's another point. With Toyota, so Toyota is one of the big movers in hydrogen, mm. and they a number of years ago brought in their car, the Prius, um, which was based on an electric powertrain, and B is obviously before, and then they've now brought out their Toyota Mirai. Mirai means future, which is the hydrogen one, and another big push that hydrogen transport sector is getting is because it is based on an electric. It is an electric vehicle. It just produces the electricity on board instead of you plug it in. Uh, so the move to electric vehicles has significantly helped the hydrogen sector because it's mm-hmm. the same foundational vehicle. Just to dig into that a bit. So people are you know, increasingly familiar with electric cars, obviously uh, popularized at first by Prius. And I remember when Prius was kind of amongst like petrol heads, a bit of a dirty word. It was like oh, the electric car. And, and you know, the people were really suspicious it was going to take off. Now you could argue the kind of coolest car brand is Tesla, right? This is purely electric cars and they've done wonders for, for that market. But I guess electric cars, as we kind of hinted at, you know, they, they use essentially a massive lithium ion battery, right? So they use the kind of batteries people charge, people use to charge their, uh, or people have in their phones and their laptops or whatever. So it's basically a massive battery. So why is, hydrogen why are hydrogen fuel cells the kind of the next step like what are the advantages for 
vehicles generally. And I, I get a sense, particularly for the HGV market, there's a real advantage for hydrogen. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the batteries we have at the moment are quite big. So it's a significant weight percentage of the vehicle. Uh, and if you're in a, a passenger vehicle like a car, that's fine. Once you get up to the larger ones, say trucks or fire engines, large vans, it starts to become an issue, especially in the commercial sector where how much you can carry is how much you can make. So when you get to a truck size, you need a really big battery, and that actually becomes prohibitive to the payload that you can carry. Whereas of hydrogen, it's a balance between um, the fuel cell and the battery size. So you can get a smaller battery, um, which you just store the electricity in as you use it on board, or you can um, use it to take in your regenerative braking, which is something we can probably go into a bit later. But yeah, that, that's especially for the large vehicles, hydrogen fuel cells are, are better because of the weight. But there's also the psychological shift um, that you need with uh, battery electric vehicles at the moment. You need to wait while they charge. You know, and that can, with a super fast charger, that can be, it can be done to 20 minutes, half an hour. Um, but it's still far longer than filling up your petrol vehicle and then driving off. Whereas with hydrogen, it's a much more, it's basically the same system as we currently have for diesel and petrol vehicles, where you drive into a station, you plug the nozzle in, uh, petrol goes in, in this case, the hydrogen gas gets pushed into your tanks, and then you, you pay for it and drive off. So there's a definite psychological shift that would be needed for us all to switch to battery electric vehicles. Um, and there's also be kind of an infrastructure change need. Um, I'm not saying that there's no infrastructure needed for hydrogen refueling. Obviously, you need to follow that in. But if you think about how many people go through, say, a, a service station, petrol station, um, in an hour, so if it took you an hour to charge your car, all of those cars would need to be there at the same time and have their own space. So for us to switch en masse to battery electric vehicles would require many more car parks with many more charging points on the, the main travel routes that we have in the country. And you'd also need to build new substations for every petrol forecourt because of the amount of energy needed for all those cars at one time. Whereas with hydrogen, you're able to produce that hydrogen um, before you need it, and then it's just stored in tanks. And hydrogen stores really well, whereas electricity is quite difficult to store. With hydrogen, you, you put it into a tank of pressure and it, it stays there until you release it. That's a, another kind of reason why why we think hydrogen is better. I guess yeah. you also have the, um, the the sort of one of the criticisms of battery uh, electric powered vehicles at the moment is that you're kind of just shifting the problem elsewhere because the electricity is still being produced. I mean, not all of it is being produced using reusable uh, generators, I guess. Yeah. Um, so this, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is that this is, is, it's not kind of shifting the problem of, okay, well, we're burning coal over there to produce energy for you to charge your car. This is actually a much cleaner way of producing that energy. Is, is that the case as well? It can go both ways. Okay. <laughs> so, so one of the terms that we, we use in the transport industry is zero tailpipe emission. Mm -hmm. So for both battery electric vehicles and hydrogen vehicles, we have zero tail emissions uh, because nothing right. comes out of the exhaust. But uh, for battery electric, it depends on where that electricity comes from. 
No, if yeah. it comes directly from a wind turbine, fantastic. It's 100% green. Uh, the same with hydrogen. You can produce hydrogen in a number of ways. The main way it's produced at the moment is steam methane reforming, or SMR, which um, has come kind of as a, a byproduct of part of the fossil fuel industry. So you can use right. hydrogen that is kind of called grey hydrogen um, with carbon capture technology that can become blue hydrogen. But the ideal situation is green hydrogen, which is produced by electrolysis, which is just the splitting of water into oxygen and hydrogen using mm -hmm. renewable energy. And part of what I was saying earlier about where you can produce the hydrogen before you need it, um, it's really, really useful for renewables because of you can't you don't choose when the wind blows, you don't choose when the sun shines. It just finds when it does. So renewables produce electricity when they do. It's not like a power station where you turn it on when you need it. So a great kind of other benefit of hydrogen in the hydrogen economy, as opposed to just for transport, is when wind's blowing, say at night when everyone's asleep and electricity demand's low, you can use that electricity, turn it into hydrogen. And it can be used for in the future, you know, later in that day or in the week, or transport, someone can fill up their, their vehicle, or it can be turned back into electricity when the grid needs it. So no. there's a real extra benefit of hydrogen as energy storage for the grid, um, which, which can help for grid balancing to stop it overheating when there's too much energy being produced for renewables or um, store it for when it's needed. What is the state of, because I, I, that was a question I had coming in, it's it's the world that we are, that we thankfully live in a world where we're surrounded by hydrogen. Like you say, it, it's part of water. So I guess it seems like a lovely question, we're surrounded by hydrogen, so, uh -huh. so it, it must be one of the more abundant fuel sources you can ever access, theoretically. So so what is the state of using electrolysis to, to separate water into hydrogen? Like, Where is that in terms of the development of the technology we need? And I guess the scale, how far are we away from creating a, a system, an ecosystem where we could do that at a big enough scale to fulfill the needs we, of our sort of society? Electrolysis technologies out there. Um, we've worked with a company called McPhee who have put it into a shipping container. So if you have you own a, a petrol station and you want to use hydrogen for your customers, uh, you, you just pay them and they drop a shipping container beside your site. Um, and you just need to link it up to a water supply and you can produce hydrogen there and, and uh, electricity supply. So the technology for that's definitely there. It's just about the, the cost at the moment and then getting that down, which is another reason why we operate in the commercial sector because we've worked out that you only need about four hydrogen stations get a truck from Dover to Orkney across the UK. So instead of having to replace all of the, the hundreds of petrol and diesel stations we currently have all over the country, if you focus on commercial first, you can do about, about seven uh, stations in the UK and you would cover all of our major logistics needs. And that so we, we call that back to base refueling because commercial vehicles, large ones, follow generally set routes. Um, and they don't deviate from that much. So if you have a station at your depot and you have a station at the place where you're dropping, making a drop off, that's all you need to convert your entire fleet to hydrogen power. That seems wildly simplistic, but also like exactly what you said that I, I imagine in logistics, the routes are, yeah, they're very, they're pretty much, it's the same kind of major uh, motorways that are being used. So yeah. 
Exactly. It just seems, it just seems too easy, but I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were saying I thought you were saying you needed seven to get one truck from wherever to wherever. You're saying you need seven stations to replace however many hundred across yeah, the country. Yeah, it, it would replace a massive percentage of our truck movement because it's all wow. on the M1, the M6, and then the M74 up in Scotland. You know. It's, yeah, the major routes. Wow, great stuff. It's well, great my stuff. mind is blown. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Amy. It does. It just. It seems like you know such a massive change. How is it that it's you know that that close? So it feels so attainable. I guess like my next question there is you know what are the the sort of major hurdles that stand between you know between us and that that vision being an actuality? Yeah. So we we always get conversations about chicken and egg. And so people say, yeah, we'll buy the trucks once the infrastructure's in. And other people say, yeah, we'll get the infrastructure once the trucks are out there. Um, but they absolutely need to, come, they need to come together or we're not going to make any movement. Um, so we always try and find partners. And my HV systems, we always try and find partners we can work with in the industry who almost offer our customers a, a package of here is the fuel, here are the trucks. It will cost you a bit more to start with. You'll get zero emissions. And, you know, if you wait 10 years, you're going to have to get them because of government um, legislation that's coming in. So you, you might as well spread that cost over a longer period and be seen as one of the first industry movers and get lots of green credentials for your, your company. Yeah, once you start doing it because you have to, you've lost any ability to market the movement yeah. you're going to have to do in the future anyway, right? All so your like, CSR yeah, points are gone. <laughs> exactly right exactly so if you take a big haulage company and they do it now you know oh wow they're, they're so innovative they're real leaders you know the, the, all the bonus points and like I said, if they do it in 10 years it's like well they did it because they have to and everyone's back on that even even playing field yeah another another reason it's not quite there yet is because um of that lack of vehicles which which we're trying to fill that gap in the market so yeah back in 2017 that was what started our our two initial founders on this idea was they saw that governments were starting to talk about banning um, petrol and diesel vehicles. There were no zero emission replacements for the commercial ones. So that was the, the gap in the market that they saw originally. And it's it's still there. You know, Hyundai's got a rigid um, medium-sized medium truck um, that operates in Switzerland. And we've got Nikola Motors who have their prototype in the US. Um, those are the, the big hydrogen movers in the commercial sector, kind of the, the big truck. Um, Toyota has also got a, they're doing it quite slowly. They've got um, a, a to test truck, which is just doing, we've only got one at the moment, which is doing deliveries in the port of Los Angeles. Um, so they're trialing it there. So there's quite a number of trials around the country or around the world. Um, and we're, we're at the point of building our demonstrator vehicles. Um, to show that it works because obviously we, we, we believe it does work um, and it's just about getting that physical administrator for us at the moment showing the industry look at this you can touch it you can look at it driving you can see it pulling stuff and we think that once that's in place that'll be the next big driver for the industry to see we can touch this now start start buying it it's really interesting. So um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a zero emissions logistics company on um, called Magway. And 
they were trialing their um, zero emissions logistics system, um, which is based on uh, magnetic levitation of um, sort of small uh, grocery sized pods that can basically be shuttled around um, the country. And I think that, you know, they were talking about quite similar kinds of um, uh, similar routes to growth, right? First of all, having something that people can look at, touch and feel. Um, I'm, I'm really interested to kind of hear about what that, that journey um, looks like moving forward. Do you think it will be a kind of, you know, a major automotive player that, that takes a massive leap and perhaps starts investing and acquiring in this space? Or do you think it'll be the government kind of hitting everyone over the head with a stick and saying, right, it's time? Uh, how, how do you think it'll, it'll pan out? Yes, so the, the trucking sector is notoriously conservative and slow-moving. Um, you know they they know what they've got. They've maxed out the efficiency of you know, the brick truck that we see. And uh, we we did a, a competitor analysis, and we found that there was there was less than ten centimeters difference in size between all of the top seven producers truck cabs, which is, is quite incredible. We've kind of seemed to have maxed out where we can be with a, a fossil fuel truck. So one of the real benefits that we think we have as a, as a small team is we're incredibly fast moving. We can pivot you know, on a knife edge. Um, whereas these bigger companies, if they wanted to do something different, it'll take a long time just to make that decision through all the different hierarchies of management. Um, but also, the vast majority of the investment companies have made is into parts surrounding the internal combustion engine. So for them to switch their vehicle model to electric or hydrogen, uh, they would have to get rid of the vast majority of their supply chain around right. that. And even in, in the US, um, what's the company called? They've got a big um, a company, maybe, maybe Freightliner, I'm not, I'm not sure of the name. Um, they're owned by Packer, which make internal combustion engines. So hmm. even even the owners of these these truck companies wouldn't want to do that because it, it impacts their other investments. So we feel it will take a small startup making that first step, and then maybe these other companies will will try and buy them, or they'll. We've got a licensing kind of model for our technology where we we take the powertrain kind of they call it a top hat. The engineers in, in our team call it a top hat. So the whole of the truck that we think about the kind of the bit where the driver sits they just call that the top high it doesn't doesn't matter too much to them All <laughs> the wheels the thing that drives it and where we store the fuel and um, the powertrain section so our, our entire lower section um where we've made it in a modular way so it can be quickly expanded to different vehicle types um and we we do expect to be able to license that out to the industry to encourage the uptake of hydrogen commercial vehicles speed that transition up um, and also to hit the, get the cost of you know the hydrogen fuel cell down because that will bring in the economies of scale so we do think it will take a small company taking that risk on and then once that risk has been averted a little bit i think the bigger companies will, will come in and, and start to probably make the, the big percentage in the market different but it will take a smaller company to make that change first I mean, it feels inevitable. Like the 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 changeover just feels inevitable, and 
I am often in the middle of conversations like this. I feel upset that I'm not going to be around like 100, 200 years from now to to sit back and recognize where that that pivot point was, I guess, because it feels like it's now. But obviously, uh, without the the gift of hindsight, it's very difficult to see that. But yeah, I I just think uh, it just it just feels like this is the definite future. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a report by a company called Roland Berger. They think that in the future it'll be about 25% actually electric vehicles, mostly around the smaller, and then 75% hydrogen vehicles. Mm. Um, mm. So there's definitely two technologies that, one that's already kind of the market in alternative fuels is battery electric, and then the one that's emerging is hydrogen. And as far as we can see, these seem to be the best options we've got for future transport. Mm. Um, and there's definitely a, a match between these two that we'll see in the future. Like for an electric vehicle, it's really small for just like two people. That can work because, you know, you charge at home and then you drive a few miles to work. You charge at work. If we if we still go to work in the future, which we, we don't anymore already. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, through all the transport personal transport out of the window um but you know battery electric does work really well for that kind of scale and then for the larger scale and for moving further where you have to refuel during a journey um hydrogen is definitely less of a psychological barrier and then as i've mentioned we've got all the other benefits of grid balancing energy storage water desalination and then hydrogen can go into so many different things you know synthetic fuels um we can heating so one of the in scotland we used 97.4 percent of our electricity last year was from renewables um nice the, gov the government was wow. aiming for 100 percent by 2020 and they only missed it by you know two and a half percent that's incredible wow yeah. so so in scotland we're really really good at green electricity but that's not all of our energy use. There's heating as well, which, you know, we're, we're, it's quite windy in Scotland, which is why we do that. <laughs> but it also means it's really cold. Right. So okay. we need heating as well. But um, electricity for heating is, is really difficult. It's really quite yeah. efficient, quite expensive. Um, we have all these, these gas lines at the moment. Hydrogen, you can about 20% hydrogen into our natural gas pipes at the moment. They'll work as, as fine as they do, and the boilers will be able to manage. When we go beyond that 20%, we'll need to upgrade some of uh, the old boilers. And of all the new boilers that they're putting in, they expect to be able to use hydrogen for heating. Um, because hydrogen is, is a really, really small. So, as you mentioned earlier, um, hydrogen is, is all around us. You know, it's the first element, um, it's just attached to water or methane or, or whatever. The hard part is finding hydrogen on its own <laughs> because it's so reactive. It likes to combine with everything. Um, it is the most abundant element in the universe. We just need to get it on its own is the, is the issue. Um, but for heating, um, we can upgrade our pipelines. It's not about changing the system that we use for, for gas at the moment. It's about making the connections between pipes more secure. So it's more about wrapping another covering around them. And that'll be able to keep smaller hydrogen inside, and then we can we can also decarbonize our heating grid by, by using hydrogen that way. 
It's really interesting. I get, cause that actually brings up another question I had, which is that I'm sure everyone's familiar with the fill a balloon with hydrogen and set fire to it experiment. Um, I mean, everything we use now yes. to, for heating and petroleum and stuff is it's we use we use explosive materials. There's a, it's not like this is some sort of change, but but hydrogen is like you said, it's reactive, therefore quite explosive. Um, what have you done both in terms of kind of your 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 actual vehicles to kind of allay that problem and kind of increase safety? And I guess generally in terms of using hydrogen for things like heating and other, I guess broader kind of civic mm-hmm. um, uh, contexts. You know, is there a safety issue? Is that simply something that we'll be able to get over quite quickly? You know, where's that heading? I think I think that the place we always have to start is we currently drive around in two-ton hunks of metal uh, with small explosions going on around our knees. Um, and behind us, we put um, thin metal tanks full of flammable liquid. Um, I'm never getting so, in a car again. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll start there. Then we'll talk about hydrogen. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, touche, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're talking about the Hindenburg, and that was like we do get at, when we used to go to conferences and, and meet people in person, they would always ask about the Hindenburg disaster. And it was 1937, uh, 36 people were killed in it. That was uh, a canvas full of hydrogen <laughs> that was powered by internal combustion engines on the wings. So as amazing as the engineers of the past were, I would say that it was an accident waiting to happen. Mm. Um, Fair. So hydrogen... It sounds, like an, it sounds like an accident wanting to happen. <laughs> I mean, it does really sound like an absolute disaster on uh, on wings. Yeah. Yeah. So um, hydrogen for transport is now stored in tanks um, with the compressed as a gas. So it's, it's exceedingly safe. Um, so uh, we were talking to quite a number of companies about the tanks. Um, but generally, they have three layers. They have uh, an outer layer, which is glass fiber reinforced, um, which protects against surface abrasions. Um, got a middle strong layer, which is made of carbon fiber reinforced plastic. And then there's a third inner layer on the tank, which is a, a plastic liner, which prevents leakage. And I watched a, a video from Toyota about their tank, and it took two 50 caliber bullets hitting the same point rupture it so wow you know it's, wow. it's incredibly strong and it's, tough. it's, it's yeah. quite it's probably strong enough to withstand a road traffic collision sure and um can i just uh, ask you you said that your your background is um is in the environment what are we what do we have to play for here you know what, what are the kind of reductions in emissions that we can expect from you know a hydrogen-based um, transportation system, certainly for commercial vehicles at least. So, um, for our our vehicles, our trucks, so the big one, um, looking at savings of um, 104 tons of CO2 per truck per annum, uh, 165 kilograms of NOx, and four kilograms of particulate matter each year. Um, so, the numbers that we're looking at the kind of our market predictions of what we hope will happen. If we meet our targets by 2031, 10 years from now, our trucks will have reduced the amount of emissions that Heathrow Airport has every year. Wow, flipping neck. <laughs> so it's it's, it's yeah. equivalent to shutting down Heathrow. Um, and that's not, that's not this year's Heathrow, that's 2018's Heathrow when everyone was going on holiday. 
it's a good uh it's a good caveat there a good st- <laughs> stipulation <laughs> yeah it's it's massive you know for for commercial vehicles you know transport contributes 22 percent of greenhouse gas emissions and it's 27 percent of co2 emissions um and the heavy sector is again about a quarter of that about around 22 percent and then just the trucks that you see mostly on British roads, so the ones that are separate from the trailer and the trailer can connect to the six by four tractor cabs. And those alone have about 27% of transport emission. Right. Even though they only take up about 2% of the number of vehicles on the road. So the one place that we're targeting are the most polluting vehicles um, and, and the, the smallest number. So the smallest number of replaced vehicles can produce a massive amount of emission reductions. Yeah, it's massive. It's, it's taking an axe to the um, the emissions target that we've got for the country. It's amazing. So I do have one final question for you, Daniel. And this is something I ask everyone. Um, we're the What Comes Next podcast. We like to talk about what comes next. So what just kind of taking the science and, and uh, what's physically possible now out of the equation, what do you want to see in the future? Like, where do you imagine this going in your kind of wildest dreams? Yeah, wildest dreams. Okay, so we all <laughs> drive um, hydrogen vehicles. All of our products um, are delivered by hydrogen-powered trucks. Uh, the hydrogen fueling stations everywhere you need them, same as petrol and diesel stations at the moment. And um, all of our electricity is produced by renewables all over the country which is stored as hydrogen, which can be used for the transport, or it can be used for heating, or it can be used um, to desalinize water and save water crises across the world. Um, I think, yeah, my, my vision would be the hydrogen economy blooming into everything it can <laughs> be and affecting all these different sectors and just removing the need for fossil fuels because, you know, hydrogen is, is storable. Electricity, it's hard to store. But hydrogen, we can store it the same as, as we do with oil, the same as we do with petrol. So that's my, my opinion for the future. Thank you very much to Daniel for coming on the show. HV Systems are currently doing a fundraise as well, and you can find out more information about that at hv-systems.com. Um, Amy, I'm very interested to hear what you thought of this guest because I know that you are a transport aficionado. Um, Am I? What did, you, <laughs> what did you make of HV Systems and Daniel? Well, I, th- I mean, I, I thought it was a great chat. I'm, I really love that conversation in the context of some of the, the more recent guests we've had as well because we've had two logistics companies now, but they're both looking at tackling the problem of logistics in very different ways. So, you know, we've had um, one company who is looking at just kind of overhauling the whole process and getting little underground uh, routes to, to, for packages to be delivered. But then we've got HV Systems who are looking at upgrading the current uh, lorries that we have so that they are more sustainable. They, they sort of are just more efficient, basically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting to see the two different approaches. And hydrogen, I think, has so much potential for transport in general, not just with uh, sort of industrial vehicles, but also uh, private vehicles with planes. Um, 
ships. I think it's a really interesting area to start exploring, and I'm really glad uh, that Daniel was able to tell us a bit more about it. What did you think? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I, I was really interested to hear the um, the kind of integration point between the hydrogen economy and the electricity grid. It's like it sounds like there are some really massive wins there that aren't as far away as um, as perhaps I thought they would be. You know, he mentioned there that. Mm. Hydrogen has always been seen as this technology of the future, but it does seem like, especially with that um, massive company in the US that he mentioned that have done that that raise recently. You know, one company does a massive um, raise in a certain, certain area of technology, and and then you see kind of innovation follow that in lots of different spheres. So, yeah, maybe we're maybe we're looking at the beginning of something pretty amazing. And I and he really did paint the picture there for us. What did you think, Rob? Yeah, I thought it was fantastic as well. I thought it was particularly interesting because. We hear so much about electric cars, or sorry, electric uh, battery electric cars. So, so things like Tesla, right? Um, and because that's so kind of ingrained in the public consciousness, it's it's, it's easy to forget there are, there are other options out there, and that there may be technical, technologically more, or, or sort of logistically more sound options, things that will be easier to implement and make a bigger impact sooner than uh, battery electric vehicles. So, I thought that was really really cool, absolutely eye opening as well that will only need sort of sev seven, I imagine, reasonably sized hydrogen sort of charging stations to, to kind of to to service the vast majority of that was mad. Know, Isn't that crazy? It's funny, I remember reading I was reading an article in the research for the episode about um how many hydrogen uh fueling centers there were across the UK. And I think the answer was like 12. And so I had that ready. I was like, oh, it's gonna be a bit of a gotcha question. Like, okay, but you know, you're quite far away. So you only got 12. And then Daniel comes out with, hey, we only need seven um, I imagine big capacity, but you know, seven fueling stations to to kind of get just to, again to to kind of get the majority of haulage vehicles or service the majority of haulage routes. And like you said, if you're tackling the biggest polluters and the smallest number of vehicles first, that's such a fantastic way of of approaching it. And just another quick thing is, I know this this didn't make it into the kind of final edit, but he did address a question about the range of these vehicles, and he made a great point which I absolutely didn't think about before the episode. And he basically said that the once you have the infrastructure to fuel a vehicle in five or 10 minutes, you know, as quick as any kind of petrol car, you don't need to worry about range. Mm. Range is only a problem for vehicles that can only go 300 miles and then it takes five hours to recharge, right? Mm -hmm. um, so for anyone who's thinking about that and wondering why, why we didn't broach that, that's the, that's the answer to that question, which again is also really exciting. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Comes Next. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not leave us a review on iTunes? Don't forget to check the show notes for more information about what we've discussed on the show and where to find us online. Thank you again and see you next time.